In 2 Samuel 8, 6, we read that the Lord helped or saved David wherever he went. You know, the Lord has made a promise to us. I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Or as Hebrews 13 says, I will never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. God helped David, and he will help us as we serve him and fight the battles of the kingdom of God in his power and for his glory. We'll look at that more today on Walk in Truth. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Every election cycle that comes along, I think we all have high hopes that someone will fill an office to fix our problems. And boy, Every election cycle, we have problems, right? And so the, the candidates stream across a stage and they begin to tell us how they're going to fix the problems. And the problems could include everything from threats to the U.S., from North Korea, and uh, you name it, uh, just the, the latest thing that's propping up on the horizon. And of course, we know terrorism is a huge problem. We just had another incident in New York um, that's just tragic. And so uh, questions like this, questions about the borders, questions about you know, safety and that kind of thing. And so the candidates come up, and of course we're concerned about taxes as well. Anybody concerned about taxes out there? And so we hear them you know, give their spiel about how they're gonna fix everything. And then the country casts their votes with the hope that someone will be our champion, someone will fix our problems, someone will help us get to where we need to be. The Bible paints a picture in the kingdom of God, and we've been looking at the kingdom of God as a theme as we look at uh, the book of 2 Samuel. And the kingdom of God is captured in a man in the Old Testament, a man that prefigures Jesus, and his name is David. Now, he is a shadow of Jesus. He is not the perfect shadow, though. David had issues and problems. He was a man. But he rose as a leader that God would bless and use to bless the nation of Israel. The promises were largely realized under King David. In fact, uh, Old Testament scholars would tell you that the golden years for Israel were under the reign of David and Solomon. Those were the best years for Israel. But they were years that had to be dealt with with a good amount of struggle and pain. David's personal struggle and pain and then the nation's personal struggle and pain. When David was being uh, identified by God in 1 Samuel 16, if you look at verse 18 with me, uh, here's what's happening. One of the young men, 1618 of 1 Samuel, answered and said, Behold, I've seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who was a skillful musician. Uh, Paul shared this verse with us at the men's breakfast yesterday. He is a mighty man of valor, 1 Samuel 16, 18. A mighty man of valor, a warrior, one prudent in speech and a handsome man, and the Lord is with him. So Saul, the king at the time, sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son David, who is with the flock. Two things that you'll note about David. One, He is a mighty man of valor. David was a warrior. Two, in verse 19, 
Notice that he was with the flock. David was also a shepherd. David was a shepherd warrior. They almost seem mutually exclusive because when we think of a shepherd, we think of a a kind, gentle overseer of a flock. But a shepherd has another role, and I'm sure you're familiar with it, that is to protect the flock from wolves in sheep's clothing, from predators. In fact, sheep are the most helpless of all animals and apparently the most stupid. And of course, you all know that we've been compared to sheep in the Bible, but we won't go there this morning. But we're in desperate need of a shepherd for multiple reasons. We're in desperate need of a shepherd because we can be like sheep who just wander aimlessly. And Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. If you turn all the way to Revelation 19, before we go to 2 Samuel, I want to show you something about Jesus. And if you've been with us as we've gone through Revelation on Wednesday nights, you've been seeing this. And this is the reality of what the Bible teaches about God's nature. God is loving, he is love, but he's also holy and just. And at the end of the book of Revelation, chapter 19, verse 11, we get a picture of Jesus as a warrior. John writes, I saw heaven opened, Revelation 19, 11, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat upon it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and wages war. And his eyes, Revelation 19, 12, are like a flame of fire. Upon his head are many diadems. He has a name written upon him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the word of God. And the armies, Revelation 19, 14, which are in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he might smite the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress wine of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written. What's the name? King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, if you go back to 2 Samuel 8 for a second, and this is where we'll park, you'll, you're going to note something, and, and it is this. Before we get to a beautiful chapter about the kindness of this king with one called Mephibosheth, we're going to see the warrior side of this king. David does not perfectly foreshadow the Messiah, but he does in part. And before we are going to have a millennial reign of Jesus Christ, the thousand-year reign, which the Jews would refer to as a coming golden age, almost like uh, was under David, there is going to be a time of war on this planet. And when God comes, when Jesus comes in the second coming, it's called the day of the Lord. And within that day, it's not a literal 24-hour day, but it is his day, and he will judge the world in righteousness. He will rescue his bride, but he will also pour out his wrath. Now, this is something that much of the modern church, or at least modern audiences that go to church, don't want to hear about. They don't want to hear about the wrath of God. But you cannot read your Bible without running into the fact that God has wrath. And there is not going to be a golden age. There is not going to be a time of peace until the Lord first deals with his enemies. And God's going to give every opportunity. In fact, in Revelation 14, we see angels even flying in the mid heaven, telling people, don't take the mark of the beast, warning them 
that if they do, they will drink the wrath of God in full measure. They will drink that cup. But remember, Jesus drank that cup for us. He's not willing that any perish, but what? All come to repentance. God is patient. He's not slow about his promises as some count slowness, but he's patient toward us because he's not willing that any perish, but all come to repentance. But there is going to be a time that comes when God will judge the world and he will have a righteous standard. That's when we want to be found in Jesus. Amen. Amen. So in 2 Samuel 8, we're going to see David as he begins to expand the borders of the kingdom As we approach Christmas, it's unbelievable that we're around the corner from Christmas, but here's what Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 says. A child will be born to us, a son will be given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Now, you've heard that verse many times, haven't you? Did you hear verse 7? It says, he will establish this kingdom and uphold it with justice and righteousness. One thing that you need to know about God, and you need to put this into your equation as you think about the nature of God, is that God is love, but he is also just. God is benevolent, but he is also holy. And he says, I will be treated as holy. We even see when the ark was being moved, we looked at an earlier account where someone tried to steady the ark and he was killed on the spot by God because they were moving the ark in the wrong way. We need to realize something about God's nature. He is holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Now, as David is going to walk in these promises, in 2 Samuel 7, verse 1, it says, it came about, 2 Samuel 7, 1, when the king lived in his house, the Lord had given him rest on every side from all his enemies. That's 2 Samuel 7, verse 1. Now, I told you that when we get into chapter 8, we are not necessarily dealing with a chronological order we are dealing with something that is more thematic. In other words, 2 Samuel 7, verse 1, when God had given uh, Israel and David rest on all sides from all enemies, was realized probably later in David's life. Chapter 8 is going to tell us a little bit about the struggle to realize peace. You live in a country right now, let me just remind you, that was really uh, purchased with the blood of many people. The, the wars that have been fought over the years, our military people, we could argue about the right and wrongness of each war, but people shed their blood that you might be free. I know a young man who used to call me from Afghanistan, and he, was, he did two tours there. And I asked him how he was doing, and he was meeting with the chaplain and stuff, and he would call me for prayer. And he said his favorite verse was, no greater love is there than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And he was willing to die for this nation and to die for our freedom. And so sometimes in our everyday life, we forget that people paid the ultimate sacrifice for you to be in a country that is free. And there's always going to be a struggle for freedom. There's always going to be enemies of what's right and true and just. And it's going to be a battle. 
Now today in the church, we don't Hey folks, I've been telling you about different ways that you can connect with Walk in Truth. And one of the ways you can do it through modern technology is download the Radio Scribe app and search for Walk in Truth. There you'll have access to all kinds of cool resources, including one thing I'm going to highlight today, which is a devotional. It's a video devotion I've done on, will God give you any more than you can handle? Question mark. I'm sure you've had that question. It's a five minute video devotion. It'll bless you. You can refer friends to it and hopefully it'll help you with your walk. Download the Radio Scribe app, search for Walk in Truth and check out the devotion today. God bless you. Let me just remind you, that was really uh, purchased with the blood of many people. The, the wars that have been fought over the years, our military people, we could argue about the right and wrongness of each war, but people shed their blood that you might be free. I know a young man who used to call me from Afghanistan, and he, was, he did two tours there. And I asked him how he was doing, and he was meeting with the chaplain and stuff, and he would call me for prayer. And he said his favorite verse was, no greater love is there than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And he was willing to die for this nation and to die for our freedom. And so sometimes in our everyday life, we forget that people paid the ultimate sacrifice for you to be in a country that is free. And there is always going to be a struggle for freedom. There's always going to be enemies of what's right and true and just. And it's going to be a battle. Now, today in the church, we don't fight with physical weapons. We are in a spiritual battle, right? And we have the armor of God, but it's not physical weapons. It's things that are given to us spiritually to battle. But the analogies still hold. The, the struggle is still true for us as Christians today. The Christian life is not easy. To do the right thing is not easy. So here is how David had to realize the peace. And this is 2 Samuel 8, verse 1. It says, now after this, and I believe, again, we have to think thematically, not necessarily strictly chronologically. It came about that David defeated the Philistines. We're going to see David move in four different directions. You could imagine just a cross for a second. And he's going to move in four different geographic directions. First, he's going to deal with enemies in the West, the Philistines, largely on the coastal plain. David defeated the Philistines, just marking your margin there, West, and subdued them. David took control of the chief city. Uh, some of your versions say Mepheg Amah, from the hand of the Philistines. The Philistines were a constant thorn in the side of Israel. And just a side note, Medek Amah literally means the bridal of the mother city. And most believe, if you take the cross-reference of 1 Chronicles 18, verse 1, that it's the city of Gath, the main city of the five of the Philistines. The Philistines were constantly attacking Israel. Uh, if you do a concordant search in 1 and 2 Samuel, just search how many times the Philistines come up. And it seems like at every time the Israelis turned around, the Philistines were attacking. At one point, the Philistines even steal the Ark of God. They steal the Ark of the Covenant. And so they were a thorn in Israel's side, and uh, Saul tried to deal with them, and he had some victories over them, and Israel had some victories and losses. There were casualties on both sides. But finally, David has uh, subdued them. Verse 1. 
He took control of the city, probably of Gath, from the hand of the Philistines. Finally, the Philistines were conquered. They come up in the book of Judges as well. Uh, we often see the Philistines in a single individual named Goliath, right? Goliath was taunting the uh, armies of Israel. Nobody wanted to fight him except, who was it? Young David. And he hit him right between the eyes. Down went Goliath, right? And so we talk about giants in our life and difficulties, and David went after the giant. And finally, the Philistines were subdued. He defeated in the east, if you're uh, just marking the geographic locations of the taking the promised land, he defeated Moab in the east. And this is going to be brutal, but here it is. Measured them with the line, making them lie down on the ground. And he measured two lines to put to death, one full line to keep alive. And the Moabites became servants to David, bringing tribute. Now, as uh, war went on, and you have to see this in the context of war, and I know it's a brutal thing to, to see, but here's what it is. They would take who they didn't kill in battle and sometimes lay them on the ground and measure them out. The measuring line could be two purposes. One, to measure the height and to spare young ones. Or it was simply, if you were in the one-third, you were spared. And I will warn parents that some of this is some mature content. If you, if you want the heads up right now, I should have said that at the beginning. But anyway, this is, this is what it is. So, and uh, some were spared and others were killed. And so the Moabites who survived this were bringing David tribute. I will say this to you. The Bible does not comment on the right and wrongness of David's actions. This is just the reality of war. And you had to deal with the enemy, and some of the enemy could be taken captive, but it was usually limited numbers and numbers that you could control. And uh, I will also say a spiritual application is that at the end of the age, there are going to be two lines. There's going to be those who are in the kingdom and those who are not. There's going to be a separation of the sheep and the goats, the wheat and the chaff. This is just the reality. Which line are you going to be in when it's all said and done? There are, there are going to be some to whom Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And there will be others that he says to them, depart from me, you who work iniquity, I, what? Never knew you. So here's the reality of what the Bible teaches. There is a heaven to gain by the grace of God and a hell to shun. Calvin captures the tone of the text when he says, the stringency which David exercised against the Moabites ought not to be considered cruelty, but to be just the just judgment of God, since they had abused his long patience and had mocked him. The Moabites were also a constant problem. If you write down 2 Kings 13, 20, when Elisha died, they buried him. Now the bands of the Moabites would invade the land of Israel in the spring of the year. Seems every spring they would come and they would do more and more damage, the Moabites. Now, I will say this. In David's own lineage, there was a Moabitess whose name was Ruth. And if you write down Ruth chapter 4, verses 18 through 22, you'll see that a Moabitess was in the line of King David. So it is interesting that even enemies can become right with God. Now, David defeated, verse 3, Hadaditsar. That's 
we're now going north, the son of Rehob, the son of the Rehob, king of Zobah, as he went to restore his rule at the river. David captured from him 1,700 horsemen, 20,000 foot soldiers, and David hamstrung the chariot horses, but reserved enough of them for 100 chariots. Now, all animal lovers are now going to be offended as well. (laughs) To hamstring a horse was not to kill it, but to cut a tendon in the back legs to make it unusable in battle. And this would be like if you had to deal with the military and you had to somehow make sure that their weapons would not be used against you, you might disable their tanks. It's that kind of thing. The king was also told in Deuteronomy 17, verses 16 through 20, he was not to multiply horses to himself or wives. David did not multiply horses to himself. But he did multiply wives, and so did Solomon. And so you ask the question, well, why did God say this to the king? Way back in Deuteronomy, under the leadership of Moses, there was no king at the time. Why this warning? Because God knew that if they had a multitude of horses, they would trust in horses and chariots instead of the Lord. So sometimes what God does is he makes us stay at a place where we have a healthy reliance upon him. He knows which of us can handle a lot of possessions and which of us need to live lean and mean. Amen? I mean, we we make declarations like, if I won the lotto, the first things that I would do, I would pay off the church. Praise God. I pray you win the lotto if that's (laughs) your true desire. I want that in writing, though. Right? And I would help this, and I would help the Sisters of Mercy, and I would help this, right? But you know what? Money and possessions have corrupted many, many people. In fact, those who want to get rich, 1 Timothy 6, get themselves into trouble and often pierce themselves through with many a pang, many foolish desires. So we have to be careful. So David captured 1,700 horsemen, 20,000 foot soldiers. That's Obviously, some big numbers. He disabled the horses, and he did this to a man named Hadadetzer. Ironically, his name means Hadad is my help. You say, well, who's Hadad? Hadad was the personal name of an ancient pagan deity. He was the storm god whose name means the one who smashes. Well, the one who smashes apparently was on vacation that day because Hadadetzer got taken by the true god, and David, of course, won that battle. And when the Arameans, some of your versions say the Syrians in verse 5 of Damascus, located immediately north of Israel, came to help Hadadetzar. So they heard that he was battling with uh, David, king of Zobah. David killed 22,000 Arameans. Then David put garrisons among the Arameans of Damascus, and the Arameans became servants to David, bringing tribute. And the Lord helped or literally saved David wherever he went. So David now moving up to the north and taking the original promised borders that were given way back to Abraham as he was told to walk the land. And the land of Israel, by the way, is a very expansive original promise that was given. And more and more through the political tension around Israel, they are squeezing the borders. But the original biblical borders were quite expansive. And in fact, they are realized under David's leadership. 
David, verse 7, took the shields of gold, which were carried by the servants of Hadadezer, and brought them to Jerusalem, now his capital city. So he took the shields of gold. They were probably more for uh, purposes of showing who they belonged to, and he took them to Jerusalem. And from Batah and Barathai, cities of Hadadezer, King David took a very large amount of bronze. Now when Toy, he was the first action figure in history, by the way, what? Might be pronounced toy, but I like toy. I like toys. Anyway, king of Hamath, that's about 100 miles north of Damascus. So further north, Damascus in Syria, then you're going more north. Heard that David had defeated the army of Hadadetzar. Toy or Toi sent Joram to this, uh, his son to King David to greet him and bless him because he had fought against Hadadetzar. And defeated him, for Hadadetzar had been at war with Toy, and Joram brought with him articles of silver, of gold, and of bronze. Something like this, let me shake your hand. Thank you for defeating my enemy. I've been at war with these people, and David helped out, and so they brought him articles of silver, gold, and bronze. And King David also, verse 11, dedicated these to the Lord. Key phrase, he dedicated them. With the silver and gold, that he had dedicated from all the nations which he had subdued, from Aram and Moab and the sons of Ammon and the Philistines and Amalek. Uh, note that the Amalekites were a big problem for Israel as well, something Saul failed to do, by the way. From the spoil of Hadadetzer, son of Rehob, king of Zobah. Now David, upon winning all of these wars, took... Um, like Israel had done to Egypt as they walked out with the gold and so forth, took them and dedicated them to the Lord. What do you think they were dedicated for? What was David's dream? To build the temple. And David did everything but build that temple. He collected the gold and the silver and the bronze. He drew up the plans. He even scheduled the workers. But Solomon actually would build the temple. But David did everything next to building it and this is how a lot of the materials were gathered for Solomon's temple through David's victories. 1 Kings 7, 51 says, thus all the work that King Solomon performed in the house of the Lord was finished, 1 Kings 7, 51, and Solomon brought in the things dedicated by his father David, the silver and the gold and the utensils, and he put them in the treasuries of the house of the Lord. And so David made a name for himself. And when he returned from killing 18,000 Arameans, again, we're dealing with war, in the Valley of Salt, that may be near the Sea of Salt or the Dead Sea, he put garrisons in Edom. Now we're talking about the south. In all Edom, he put garrisons. And all the Edomites became servants to David. And the Lord helped David wherever he went. Hey folks, I'm excited to tell you about another way that you can connect with Walk in Truth. Download the Radio Scribe app and search for Walk in Truth. There you'll find a lot of cool resources. You'll be able to listen to messages. You can access devotionals and you can partner with Walk in Truth and help us reach more people. Download the Radio Scribe app, search for Walk in Truth and find a lot of cool resources there. I know it'll be a blessing to you. God bless you. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael would love to hear from you. You can write him when you visit walkintruth.com.